it is possible to survive the boss from hell without quitting your job or selling your soul? Hi, my name is Ken Williams and I'm a certified life coach and a master of connecting with people. I've had a lot of bad bosses because who hasn't? And I'm the host of the Bad Boss Podcast, a podcast where we explore ways to improve relationships at work so that you can survive the boss from hell. So join me as we delve into the ins and outs of working with people that you never wanted to be friends with. If you're hoping to reduce your work stress and increase your job satisfaction when it seems impossible, this is the podcast for you. Get ready to discover the power of untoxic positivity and learn how to survive the boss from hell. And as we've been doing, we're going to continue the book. Um... (laughs) I just realized, I think I miscounted. I think I did something wrong. I think I, <laughs> I don't know. I think I counted the introduction as a chapter. And so last uh, last week's episode, I said that was uh, chapter three and four, and really it was two and three. So here we are. We're going to do chapter four. Uh, we may sneak chapter five in as well. This is chapter four of Surviving the Boss from Hell. Audiobook-ish. <laughs> the creative version of the audiobook. Uh, chapter four, Ninja Tactics for Surviving Micromanagement. Micromanagement is a kind of a tricky one. And uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that, some reasons why maybe bosses are micromanagers. And uh, maybe we'll throw some tactics out there. Maybe these things will work. I would love to hear feedback, by the way. If you are finding that this is uh, helpful, if you think that the ideas that I'm sharing are uh, good ideas, if you have found that they're working, I would love to hear it. If you have other ideas, one of the great things about publishing a book with Amazon is uh, I can make updates. And so if you have something that that needs to change, I would love to uh, hear your thoughts. And um, maybe at the end of this episode, we'll talk about some of the things that I have uh, going on that uh, you might get to be a part of if you want. So chapter four. First, let's address why bosses micromanage. I can think of a few reasons. If you come up with something different, let me know. I'll add it to the chapter. Some bosses micromanage micromanage because it keeps them connected with the work that their team members are doing. They're concerned that if they lose touch with the functions or the processes of their teams, they'll lose connection with the end output. Or when they were in the position that they promoted from, their system worked for them, so they expected to work for everyone else. I teased my wife when we were newly married that, quote, <laughs> this is a, not something that worked really well for me, by the way. There are two ways to do things, your way and the wrong way. The joke wasn't that funny to her, <laughs> just in case you were keeping score. Some bosses believe that their old way of doing things is still best, or that it should be the only way. Some bosses micromanage because they don't have confidence in their team member's ability to get the job done. This can be an indication of an actual performance issue, but it's also a possible indication that the boss suffers from the fear of his image being damaged. Three reasons, maybe more. Let's take each of these individually because how you deal with them may be slightly different. I've had jobs that I truly enjoyed. When I promoted, my duties changed and the tasks that I I was, the tasks that I was skilled at were no longer my primary responsibility. I dealt with this by hovering, by telling my leads how they should perform the functions, by stepping into the operation instead of standing back to keep a larger perspective. The boss is trying to protect her image because she imagines 
our screw-ups are a direct reflection of her capability. The problem is that my strengths and weaknesses don't automatically become the strengths and weaknesses of my employees. They may have better ways of doing things. I had a task that was highly visible. My team was being watched. This is an example that I, um, <laughs> that I fall back on a lot of times. My boss was watching my team, the director, the vice president, both watching how my team performed. There was a lot of pressure. So I stepped in and I told them exactly how to perform the task. My way would save them time and resources. And they blew it. I got an angry call from the director telling me how much my team sucked. And he was right. But it wasn't my team. They were running with my plan. And my plan stunk. If I'd let them do their thing, we probably would have been successful. But how do you do that when you're dealing with the boss from hell? Second, when the boss has done the job you're now doing and was pretty successful, she might tell you how you should do it. This can be a little bit tougher. The best thing I've seen is to listen to understand what worked for the boss and why. Maybe their process is best, but remember the processes and personalities are different. Adopting a process is fantastic, but adopting personality is problematic. I try to coach every new leader that I promote that I do not want them to be like me. The world can only stand one me. <laughs> I want them to find and develop their own leadership style and become the best at being them. The micromanager, however, is more focused on the individual steps in the process than on the end result. To deal with this micromanager, you both, both individuals need to be clear on what the end result should be or what it needs to be and on your ability to get the team there. Reassure the micromanaging leader that you have things under control. Maybe ask questions to clarify the expectations. I had one of these micromanagers who came into my operation and started nosing around. There was an urgent need to have something done, and I asked my boss to do the task. It was a legitimate request. The thing needed to be done, and she was there, ready and available to do it. It was later that I realized that giving her that simple assignment accomplished three things, maybe more, but at least three things. It got her out of the way, which was super helpful for me. It reassured her that I had things under control. I knew what was needed. I knew what needed to happen, and I was aware. And then it also accomplished that small task. It was a win-win-win. And really, I was the ultimate winner because the micromanager started leaving me alone. Finally, the micromanaging boss wants to make sure that things are done right and well. So reassure them and then get them out of the way. Now, the third micromanager, the image conscious micromanager, this is the person who doesn't like to be wrong or diminished in any way. Your failure equals their failure. It's a faulty belief. But we're talking about what you can do to deal with a micromanaging leader, not fixing their bad beliefs. First, don't diminish the, the image. Protect it. Maybe you ask their opinion. Second, let them be the person with the answers. Let them be the leader. Let them be the hero of their story. Don't take that from them. I was newly promoted. My boss said something slightly incorrect about me. I corrected her instantly and publicly. Bad move. I damaged, at least in her mind, her image. Let them be right in public. Coach upwards and correct in private. Let them save face. 
The micromanager will take some time to work with. They need to become assured that you won't be an embarrassment to them. Ask for support. Let them coach you. You might gain some valuable feedback. But even if you don't, you're investing in your future relationship. Teach the micromanager over time with results that you can be trusted to protect their image. Then maybe, slowly, they stop being the boss from hell. Chapter 5. Diplomatic Defiance, Standing Your Ground Without Getting Fired. During a general life coaching session I was conducting recently, a woman wanted to talk about either money issues that she was having or maybe relationship problems that she had with her in-laws. She vacillated between the two and finally landed on the money issues. Her, quote, money issue, as it turns out, wasn't a problem with not having enough, but it was a problem that she wasn't adding money to the household income. She felt somehow that diminished her value or her role. During the session, I told her about another coaching session I had with another person on a totally unrelated topic, but I made the same comment that I'd made in that earlier session to her. And actually, it was the second woman that I was coaching who said, does everything come down to personal self-worth or self-value? She pondered for a minute, and the more she thought about it, the more she realized her mind was blown. It all starts with your own self-image or self-worth. Call it what you want. It's the same thing. Here's another thing that you're going to have to trust me on. You, yes, you, have infinite value and worth simply because you are here. You don't have to earn it, and certainly no one has to agree. And it is true. Of course, that's also true for me, and for the boss, and for everyone else on the planet. Let that sink in for a minute. If you understand that you have infinite worth and value simply because you're here, what does that change? For that woman that I was coaching, it meant that the dollar amount that she contributed or didn't contribute to the household income was meaningless. Her contribution was herself, her presence, her existence. She was raising several kids. She helped support her husband in his career and in his schooling before that. Your value doesn't come from your job title. It doesn't come from your, from your annual income. It doesn't come from any awards or degrees that you've earned. It comes from you, from your existence. Now, suppose your boss treats you as if you are less valuable than you know you are. And as an aside, maybe you don't know that yet. That's something that sometimes comes with time. But still, suppose your boss treats you as if you are less valuable than you truly are. I have two questions. First, what does that mean about you? Think about that for a minute. But I'll tell you the answer. It means nothing about you. Absolutely nothing. Not a single thing. You may have seen videos online from people who are masters in their craft in common settings. I remember one where expert violinist Joshua Bell was in the subway station playing for spare change. He did this just for fun, just to see what would happen. Over a thousand people walked by and only 27 people gave him money. Now, Just so you know, when he plays in concert halls, he can command hundreds of dollars per person in ticket prices. But in the subway, people walked by, not even noticing. What changed? What changed Joshua's value or his talent or his skill? 
from the subway to the concert hall. Nothing. Not a single thing, except the subway audience didn't recognize his greatness, except one person who did tip him very well. The concert goers do recognize his amazing talent, and they pay well to listen to it. It is entirely possible that your boss does not recognize or respect or honor your infinite worth. That's something you don't have any control over. But that leads us to question two. What does your boss's misunderstanding about you and about your worth mean about you? Again, the answer is nothing. If if the boss can't or doesn't or won't recognize your value and worth, it doesn't change your worth. Those subway patrons who didn't recognize Joshua Bell just didn't recognize his greatness. It doesn't mean he's not great. It just means they didn't see it. If the boss treats you unkindly, that's a different conversation we'll have in chapter 10. So hold on. But for now, it's important for you to recognize your infinite worth. I need you to be sold on you. Then we can discuss diplomatic defiance. Being defiant needs to include three things. Number one, respect. Defiance without respect for the boss's position, even if it's not for the person, him or herself, is required. Disrespect, in my opinion, is never justified. You can disagree without being disagreeable. It is never acceptable to be disrespectful. It might be best to use language and be in a situation where you can help the boss protect his or her image, as we've discussed previously. Communication. You'll need to clearly explain what the problem is. Make sure your argument makes sense and is justified. Be logical, be thoughtful. Maybe you've discovered that adding a specific data point, as an example, to a required report will triple the time required to gather the information. Explain that. Be clear and concise. Leave the emotions at the door. Ask about priorities. As an example, you may say, if I do this thing that you want, the way that you want, I won't be able to do the other thing that you've asked me to do. Which one's more important? Confidence. Think of your boss as an ally. And this is tricky sometimes because the boss doesn't maybe behave like an ally. Uh, Maybe it's not natural to think of the boss as an ally, but your boss really is an ally. The two of you are working together to solve a problem, and because you are closer to the action, you may have a better understanding of what's required. The job is the job. You may not be able to change required tasks, but it is entirely possible that someone who isn't in the thick of it, like you are, has made the decision that affects your ability to do what's needed. There have been a few times that I've stood up for myself in a public setting. It's not always the best way to do things because you run the risk of creating a showdown between you you and your boss. And your boss wants to win. So keep the showdowns to a minimum. If it has to happen, find a friend. Use a trusted peer as a a sounding board. Make sure you're justified in taking the steps that you're proposing and have them as backup as your your friend as a backup when you make the public showdown happen. It can easily go badly, so use it as your last resort. Give the boss an out if necessary. Maybe you or the friend could speak to the boss in a more private setting. Remember, the boss is people too. You don't want to be publicly flawed, and neither does he. Flogged. Did I say that right? (laughs) You don't want to be publicly flogged. Neither does he. You don't want to be called out on the carpet. Don't do it to her. Be kind and respectful to the boss and to you. And you just might be able to survive the boss from hell. So I appreciate you listening. I've gotten some feedback from some of you that you're having some fun with the the book. I appreciate it. 
Um, in the coming weeks, I may be doing a podcast, not a podcast, but a workshop on how to overcome the Sunday night scaries. I know that can be a stressful time. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Bad Boss Podcast. We hope you found it helpful and inspiring. Remember that relationships are a work in progress and making mistakes is normal. And if you want to have a better experience with your own bad boss, I'd love to chat. Reach out to me at ken at kenwilliamscoaching.com or check out the link in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with others who might benefit. And until next time, don't forget to spread untoxic positivity everywhere.